of Yahweh. The opportunity again, Father, thank you for this blessed chance to share your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom to any that would hear what's being said, but most importantly, to listen and go to your word. Seek your face. Seek your truth. Thank you, Father, for this. It's very important, um, you know, and I even find myself sometimes getting sucked into this um, issue of things going on with our, especially with our government. As a veteran and as one that uh, needs to look in that direction, just because of age and position and all this. But here's the thing you have to understand is that uh, they're full of promises that they can't keep. They're full of promises that they don't keep. They're full of promises that they won't keep. Lies, deception, um, inability um, for various reasons, and mostly just because they don't intend to anyway. And I have found that in having to deal with them and being in a, mm, we'll call it a somewhat guarded relationship for most of my adult life, having been in the military and dealing with the things that I deal with. And they put this out on everyone. And it's, it's unfortunate, but here's the one thing that is a redeeming factor, and it's so awesome, and that we have our God, our Lord, our God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit to guide us through all this that is brought about and put about by man or men, and that's what it comes down to. Um, you flip the coin over and you have our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, the Holy Spirit, just so always available, always around, and always truthful. Now, I had taken some journalism when I was in school, as a younger guy, and there were five primary fundamental rules of being a good journalist and a good reporter, and that was that you had five rules, five questions, you answered those, and then you had a bonus if you could get the sixth one, and that's all you were concerned about. And one of the primary rules, I mean, this was a rule, and they, this is one of the first things they taught you um, in journalism, is that you keep your opinion to yourself. You keep your opinion out of it. And, you know, this is a thing. Here's, 
the confirming spirit is around and, and I really, I have to practice doing this. But when you go to so, this so-called social media uh, platform that is out there and pandered to everyone and convinced everyone and that it's important to be connected on social media, why? Why is it so important? Because the enemy, the prince of the air, drives that thing and it causes derision, it causes hatred. There are nothing but lies on there. So going back here a moment, you have the the so-called, and I use that term because I took journalism classes and I remember the rules. And I remember in the course of study, these things that they told you, keep your opinion to yourself. And as a good journalist, as a good reporter, that's all you do. You report the facts, you keep your opinion to yourself, and you don't try to push your opinion on others. And you see that violated so much, especially on this thing called so-called, and I will call this alleged social media. It's so antisocial, so contrary to socialism, so being social, and uh, it's absolutely against all of those things. And you have some of these that have been put on there, and they're nothing but a controversial thorn inside of nearly everyone, even the people that they try to interview. And then they, they actually assault them verbally, insult them verbally, and are so contrary to the rules. They don't follow the rules of good journalism. But yet, there they are, lying to the public. And most of the time, I will say, I think, uh, I think it's pretty accurate that, that most of the time they don't even, they don't follow the rules of their journalistic practice anyway. And they, a lot of times, don't even answer the five basic questions and then they always try to interject as to the sixth that is really not answered. So anyway, the good thing and those five rules apply really well actually and Lord and I were <laughs> Lord and I were talking about that before I came over to my desk. And it was in my mind and, and the Holy Spirit is is working in there and, and brought me here. And as our lead pastor was saying this morning is that we get caught up in so much of this. And I'm gonna use the phrase disunity because that's actually what it is a lot of it is about, is disunity, separation, derision, derisiveness. And the enemy wants that so much in our lives, doesn't want us to be unified, doesn't want us to be together, doesn't want us to be with God, um, has every intention on keeping us from that any which way he can, lies, deceit, agitation, disruption, all these things and getting us caught up in everything that doesn't really matter. 
But here is the rules as they apply to my Lord, my God. Who, what, where, when, how, and sometimes why. Those are the basic rules of being a good journalistic reporter, good journalist, reporter, journalism, journalist, same thing, reporter. Being a good reporter, take good notes, and you answer those questions. Who, what, where, when, how, and sometimes, if you can, why? But they apply also to God. And it's actually an easy do for me and God. Who is God? He is my Lord. He is my heavenly Father. He's the maker of all things made. All things. He created this earth. Remember Genesis 1.1. This is, I love this. This is very powerful. And also to, you're going to find those who will be the naysayers to this. And it tells us that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit didn't come to us when Jesus said he's got to go, so now the Holy Spirit's going to, he's going to have God send. The Holy Spirit's been with us all the time. But we have a problem in that we don't ask for it. We don't pray to the Holy Spirit. Paracletos, come and walk beside me. What is Paracletos? It is the Spirit of God that he sends to walk with us guide us, teach us, and it's been with us from the beginning, not just when Jesus left. And there's so many that don't even read the Old Testament. They're very much like the the Sanhedrin. They have their separation. They only read certain books of the Bible. They won't read the Old Testament. They have to do with uh, our biblical history. That's very important. And they don't follow the rule of faith at all. And the rule of faith tells us that we must go from the beginning to the end and from the end back to the beginning and go through it. The whole thing is filled with God's truth, filled with his promises. And it tells us that Holy Spirit has been with us from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Nothing. But the Spirit of God moved across the face of the deep. The Holy Spirit was here in the beginning with God and is always with us. He is my heavenly Father, the maker of all things made. What he is, my creator, my redeemer, my strength, my strong tower, my rock. And there's so many other adjectives that could be applied. And not just applied, but they are. <laughs> and the really powerful thing about this is that they're not just descriptive adjectives of God but they're the character of God. 
He doesn't love us simply because it's the right thing to do, simply because he is our heavenly father, simply because he's a good, good father, or simply because he's a good guy. No, he loves us because God is love. John writes this, tells us this. Paul shares that. God is love. Period. God is love. Where is God? He's with me. He's around me. He's in me. Always. I share with you when I have. And when he does this, when he puts his arms around me and he's here, he's, <laughs> he's, demonstrating his hearness. I love that word, Brother Lobhock, if you can hear this, and God allows you to hear me share, and I appreciate that, and yes, I did take it. <clears throat> I did. But it's not plagiarism, because I'm taking it, and I'm confessing that, so everybody knows, so I didn't plagiarize that. But this was in his journal that he was writing about, and... Uh, in my study book for my classes that are coming, getting ready to start, um, practicing his presence. Brother Christopher, way back from the 1500 something, <clears throat> talked about practicing the presence of God and Brother Lombach from uh, 1950s, I think he was born in 1942. But he wrote about, shared about, spoke about practicing the presence of God. And in his journal, he calls it his hearness. <clears throat> practicing the hearness of God. And I love it when God shows me. And he demonstrates that. So where is he with me, around me, and in me? Always. He promises that. I am with you whithersoever thou goest. And again, I share with you, that's not just in geographical locations. That's emotional locations. Are you on the peak of the mountain because you're so happy and and everything is really really great and he helped you get there anyway or are you in a slump are you in a valley are you um, in a, a position of depression because you lost a loved one or you lost something and so you're down there or you believe that you can't get out of that valley and as you're just going through the course of the day he's with us he's with us always how? Because of his infinite power, because of his infinite grace, because of his absolute majesty and sovereignty. And he can do that. And also you have to understand that the Bible tells us 
this. So stop trying to figure these things out with your finite mind, because if you do that, you are going to reject, you're going to depose, and you are going to be, you can't figure it out. You're going to be confused, you're going to be agitated, and you're just going to be totally lost. And you have those that try to prove things. Oh, science tells us, science tells us, science tells us. Yeah, science tells us a lot of things that they leave with questions. They can't answer everything. Oh, science will prove it. Science will prove it. Okay. Explain to me the quark. Explain to me the absolute end to, of quantum physics and traveling through wormholes. Explain to me the absolute definition, complete and thorough, of a black hole. Scientists that have all the answers can't answer those questions because they don't have the answers to those questions. So they make statements up that to them will explain it away. <clears throat> they will explain it away. They can't answer it because they don't have a finite answer. So they, their response to many questions, because it is, or it just is, and it's there. Black holes, they don't know where they come from. They have a reasonable idea of what causes them, <clears throat> and they try to explain it to a point, but they can't explain to it they can't explain of how it travels, how it moves, why it continues to exist. And they make things up that apply. So it satisfies them. So then they convince others. And it's kind of like that cheat in the leopard thing. You get so many people that talk about it and convince others that it is the same. And yet it's not, but without definitive research and a definitive answer to it, they accept it and they're fine, except that it's not truth. A cheetah and a leopard are not the same thing. Those things that are out there about quarks and the black holes and the quantum travel and, and wormholes and things like that, they're, they're, they're not defined the answer, but scientists love to apply a finite answer, and because they wrote some a book or a magazine or an essay, and everybody's like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, about them, they, they accept their answer. Why God is what he is. It can be responded, responded by one key word primarily is agape. Agape. Unconditional love that my faith shows me and has shown me and demonstrate and God has demonstrated this to me. And then there's going to be those that are going to argue, well, those scientists have faith in that and faith in that and faith in that, but they haven't been shown a definitive answer. I have been shown by my God, by my Lord, by my Savior, by my Redeemer, by my Heavenly Father, by the Maker of all things made, I have been demonstrated 
demonstrated right in front of my face, been shown empirical evidence. I defy these scientists to demonstrate empirical evidence. Many of the things that they claim cannot be demonstrated on this plane of existence where we are now, because if they tried to do that, they would actually destroy this place that we are. They, what they were trying to prove or demonstrate would destroy where we are. God is not about that. God in his agape love, his unconditional love for us came and he died for us so that we would have the opportunity to be redeemed, to be in the heavenly family, that we would be unified. And this is what um, this is what Jamie was talking about Sunday is unity. Everything is about unity. And what we have going on so much about this from governments and nations and even organizations or groups, they talk about disunity. They talk about having to be separated. We talk about <clears throat> having to be all these things and not demonstrating unity. Everything that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ and comes from God is about unity together, being one family, sitting at one table. <clears throat> he invites us to be at his table to sit and sup with him. That everyone, everyone, and here's the thing about being in that family, there's no color variation. And remember, I've shared this with you before, is that God determined the palette, the color of our skin, and we determine the character of our heart. Are we going to accept one another as heavenly brothers and sisters, as we should, are we going to pray for them and get them to accept and come into the family of God so that we can truly call them a brother and sister? That's in the character of your heart. Are you going to choose to do that? Or are you going to choose to be derisive and hate-filled and agitated about everyone and everything around you? Unity. Everything is about together and being in unity. Jesus tells us to be like-minded. Paul shares with us to be like-minded. Peter shares with us to be like-minded. John shares of unity and that we need to be like-minded, pray one for another. And you look at you look at the look at the examples that we find. We can find a lot of those in John. Actually, we do. We find them through pretty much all of the gospel, all of the gospels. They all write about these individuals who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin. Pharisees, but were they talking about unity or were they talking about disunity? 
Jesus demonstrated that what they were saying and doing were two very, very different things. And they were very, very different. Jesus demonstrated that when he was talking about the Good Samaritan. They stepped over, walked around. They even changed sides of the road so that they would not be unclean. When Jesus ate and when he had supper, he ate with publicans, sinners, those that were declared unclean. And those were the ones that he came and gathered with. He had no judgment of them, although he absolutely could judge them and it would be a just judgment, but he didn't judge them and alienate them and send them away from him. He embraced them. He forgave them. He healed them. He loved them unconditionally. And saved, gave them the opportunity to be saved. Many did, and many chose not to. They, they, as, and we see that as is demonstrated when Jesus got ready to leave and he went up to the mount and he, he gathered his disciples and he came in and they were having, he was talking to them before he was getting ready to leave. And Many, as the scripture tells us, and many left. They just walked away. Jesus was leaving and they walked away because he was not going to physically be there. So they had a problem with faith. I pray daily. And the Lord shows me daily, continually, demonstrates he is with me. And when I am practicing his presence and being and, and meditating on his hearness and him being with and he puts his arms around me to answer me, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm right here. And then he puts his arms around me and I can feel it welling up inside of me. God is with me. Always with me. And when I perceive him to not be, that's because of my perception. It isn't the truth because God is always with me. And this is the way it is with us when we're going through situational issues that happen around us in our walk, when we believe that God is not here, that's exactly, there's the key to the phrase. When we believe that he's not here, then we don't see him and we don't feel, well, that's a problem we have to get by. Push past that because he is always with us. He has told us and promised us his infallible truths and promises in the word of God 
and the empirical evidence that he has demonstrated to me over and over and over again when I was not walking with him as I should be, when I was yet keeping myself at distance, he came after me. He pursued me. He stayed with me. He showed me I'm with you. You don't see me. You don't talk to me, but I'm here. I have plans for you. And just like he did with Paul, the spirit of our Lord knocked him right off the back of that ass that he was riding on the road to Damascus with this letter in his hand that the pharisaical tyrants had signed for him to go chase Christian, or well, not at that time, they weren't called Christians, but to chase after those of the way to arrest them, to persecute them, to burn out their meeting places, to take them into custody, and in some cases even kill them. I mean, he was even at the stoning of Stephen. He held the cloaks for those pharisaical tyrants that had decided that Stephen was a blasphemer and a liar, but they were just afraid of him because of the power and authority that he had through Jesus Christ. And they stoned him, and Paul was there. He held their cloaks while they stoned him to death and left him. Walked away and left, and Paul gave them all their cloaks back and shook off the dust and handed it to him, and then walked away and left. But on the road to Damascus, Jesus knocked him off of his ass into the middle of the road. And I'm quite certain that that animal probably turned around and looked and said, Oh, here it comes. You got it coming now, buddy. And then the spirit of the Lord was standing over him and, and he looked up in the bright light and Jesus asked him, he said, Saul, 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 why persecutest thou me? You come after the body of the church. You come after them. You come after me. That's okay because I have plans for you. I have plans for you. And he took his sight. And then for three days, he had no sight. Very interesting. The spirit just, I was just thinking that I kind of see how you do sometimes in scripture. You kind of go up and think, why was it three days? Saul was without sight for three days. And on that third day, he rose and could see the truth. He knew the truth. He was with the truth. He was in the truth and then became one of the most powerful teachers of the word of truth. And unity... And in John 17, Jesus talks about the unity and talks about all these, everything you read when you talk through this. And he doesn't talk about separation <clears throat> from anyone. And he talks, it's very important. Um, in verse nine, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are 
they are thine, and all thine are all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Well, he's talking about the disciples right now. But he came for all of us. But here he's speaking specifically of the disciples. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And then he sent them on that mission, commission, and all. But he also advised them, he said, to wait for the, the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and then they went out into the world. Then, of course, the world as they knew it. And I'm doing this thing that he has us to do to take this out. And as I've shared with you before, is that this platform, this ability was given to me because God wants his word shared with as many as can hear and listen to what's being said and make a decision to decide to accept that he is unconditionally loving us, came and died for us, and the truth is found in the Bible through the word of God. John talks about the unity. Jesus here specifically in John 17 is talking about the disciples going out, but he's talking about unifying. Um, verse 21, that they may all be one as thou, Father, are in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Sending them out to teach the world that God sent his only begotten son died on the cross in his spirit and in his love for us to unify us all to be in the family of God to be as we are invited to be saved by grace and to be heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ unity together sharing that very powerful thing and acts Acts 2, when Peter and the others are <clears throat> in that room and the Holy Spirit comes in with the sound of the rushing mighty wind, unifying all of those that were listening and could hear, speaking in different tongues, yet every single person there from the different area where they were, the different dialects, the different 
speech patterns and all those things. They could hear the word of God in their own language. They understood what was being said. I shared with you that I was in, I'd been in Germany, I was traveling doing music and I was, there were these villages, there were the distance between the two villages was almost five miles, a few kilometers, not quite five miles. But when they, and the population of both towns, they spoke German, but when you brought them together or when they came together, they couldn't understand what one was saying. The other couldn't understand and respond. They had some words that were similar, but they had difficulty in comprehension because they didn't speak the same German. Spoke a different dialect. High German, low German. And I learned that fact in speaking Spanish with people that what they teach in school is what they call Castilian Spanish or what some call blue blood Spanish because you had the aristocratic Spaniards would speak that elevated down the nose type Spanish and their Spanish speaking people that lived out and worked out and they weren't the blue bloods, they were working folks. They didn't understand some of these words and I learned that firsthand that they didn't understand. And there's a difference. But the thing that when Jesus came, and I believe this is why he encouraged and told the disciples to hold and wait for the Holy Spirit. And Luke, when he gave, gave us all the commission, and as I've shared with you before, is yeah, we have a commission. We have something that we're supposed to do and go do. And people get, go off half-cocked. They're not ready. They're not prepared for it, first of all. They go out and doing it because the church is all excited and they're all, oh, yeah, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. But they're not ready. And even in their traveling to wherever they're going, they're not praying the Holy Spirit or they're not praying that the leadership, I mean, I can't say that's factual for all, but many do not. They're not prepared. I've shared that word with you half cocked. There was a day, a time when firearms, and if you went out into the woods or you were um, in military units and you were marching on your way somewhere, you half cocked. You half cocked your rifles. You half cocked the pistol or whatever that you were carrying, you were going. Because if you got into a skirmish and you were not able to pull the trigger, you couldn't just pull the trigger and let it fire. And this is, they developed a thing later on called the double action. And so you could just pull the trigger and it, everything would happen all cyclically. Well, back in the day, they had the half cocked. You went in and you, you couldn't be walking down in the formation with the rest of the guys 
and accidentally pull the trigger and it would go off and then you shoot one of your companions. Because you, if you were doing what you were supposed to do, you had it half cocked. It wasn't ready to fire. And many times people go off and they don't have the spirit. They've not been praying in the spirit. They're just all excited about going. And they go into a situation half cocked. That's an old phrase that came a long time ago. Millennials, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Folks close to my age will understand and maybe remember. But that's what the term means and what the, <clears throat> where that phrase came from. You're, the gun isn't ready to go. You're not ready to go, so don't go without the Spirit. Don't go into these situations without the Spirit's guidance because when you do, you will fall flat on your face and you're not ready and you will not be able to share the truth and knowledge and wisdom because you don't have the guidance. You didn't ask for the guidance. You're not being led by the Spirit. You're going off being led by your excitement. <clears throat> and being excited, that's not a bad thing, okay? Don't misunderstand. That's not a bad thing at all. Be excited. Be. Do you imagine that the, 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 the disciples, when they were over there, and they were in that room, and they were talking about Jesus, they were sharing the word, they were sharing the truth, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just kicked open the door, blew open what the shuttering, uh, blew apart the curtains or whatever were covering the windows, and came in, and you could hear the rushing of that wind. <clears throat> Can you imagine that? Imagine the sound of the Holy Spirit as it was coming from the throne of heaven. Think about it a minute. The Holy Spirit comes straight from the throne of God. It's his spirit. And we like to think of heaven as being that upper place. Always talk about it going up into the heavens. Take this picture. Okay. God is sitting on his throne up in heaven. And that spirit starts coming out and descending. If you can imagine that it's coming out the gates of heaven and coming down off the front of the throne of God and he's sending it out and here it comes and now it's it's spilled out of heaven and it's coming down and it's gaining speed. It's gaining momentum. It's gaining strength as many waterfalls do. They come over the side of the mountain and they gain strength in the fall. Now here comes the Holy Spirit gaining and gaining and gaining and hits that door where they were all gathered. And the doors fly open and the sound of a rushing mighty wind fills the room. I can only imagine that some might have even been staggering on their on their feet. They were they were taken completely. And the wind just came in and filled the whole room. And the disciples had the tongues of fire that were showing that, okay, see, I know who I know who's gonna do what I tell them to do, and I know who they are, and I know that they're teaching. And I'm gonna let you all see who they are. And the tongues of fire above each of their heads. And then they started speaking. 
each in a different language. And then they were, there were those that were there that were completely astounded because, as I shared with you before, disciples had no letters of learning except for Luke and Matthew and, and uh, maybe one other or so. They had letters. Luke was a physician for Pete's sake. Yeah, he had letters of education from plays. He was a physician. Matthew had letters because he he could speak multiple languages. He could write in multiple languages. And he was a bookkeeper. And then, of course, you have Thomas. I don't know if he had letters for education, but Thomas was, for all practical purposes, he was a CPA, a business person taking care of his family's business and kept books and numbers. He was a learned individual. But you have, the point is that the people were astounded because as far as they were concerned, these individuals that were speaking these languages, how could this be? They didn't go to school. They have no letters of education. They have no letters that we have. We have letters. Yeah, and yet they're speaking all these languages. And everyone that was there understood their own language. They understood what was being said. And even those that were not just a different dialect, but they were a completely different language, were able to understand what was being said. This is the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those mysterious words that is comes about God always. How? Well, because he's God and because he can and because he does. But yet we in our finite minds try to figure things out as to how or why. And quite honestly, I think that there are a lot of these self-proclaimed physicists and thought scientists and all that, that are, have elevated themselves to such a point of authority that nobody else can understand them or they can't have conversations with others and they separate themselves. But see, Jesus came not to condemn anyone in the world, but to save them, that whosoever believe on him shall have eternal life. Everyone has the opportunity. And he didn't come in to say, Okay, you that have letters of learning, you're the only ones that can get it because you'll understand what my disciples tell you. That didn't happen. Jesus came in for whosoever will. God says, I love the world. So this is going to happen. Not that I love those with letters of teaching and credentials from schools are better or more important. So I came to save them first. Didn't say that. <clears throat> he said, I came for the world. That everyone has an opportunity. That whosoever believes shall be indeed saved. All you have to do is say, I believe that Jesus came for me. I want to have faith in you, Father God. And I want your Holy Spirit to guide me. And then when we go sit at a supper table, we're going to sit with everyone. <clears throat> There's no 
color palette. There's no separation of language. We will all understand one another and we will feel and know one another. We're going to know everyone because of that agape love that's going to flow through everyone. <clears throat> Pardon me. What we are going to know and be aware. I'm going to flip back over here to uh, in the notation from Pastor Jamie Miller, our lead pastor, <clears throat> and speaking of this unity. And we see that we are talking about all these different tribes. And he talks and actually I'm going <clears> to, <throat> pardon me. I'm going to share in, in verse nine, actually. And after this, I, and John is, is writing this letter. John, on Patmos, remember, he was visited by Jesus and angels, and God is giving him visions on many things. After this, I beheld, lo, in a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands crying with a loud voice saying salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb remember when Jesus came and John said that behold the lamb of God now we're talking about John his earthly cousin when he was at the river and Jesus came for baptism And John said, Behold the Lamb of God, whose sandals I am not fit to latch. But God came and saved us all. We are offered the opportunity. God gives us the opportunity to be saved. have that opportunity. It's given to us. It's freely given. You can't buy your way into heaven. And what he gives to us is a free gift. 
it's given to us freely. Remember that, that where we are is constantly changing and twisting and turning and turmoil, but in answering those questions I shared with you, as a journalist, they're very readily answered in God. But more importantly, they're not just an adjective description of God. It's not how God acts, which are mostly what adjectives are about, but it's who and what God is. That's his character. It's not just... He does it because he's our good father and it's a good thing to do and a good father's supposed to love his kids, yada, yada, yada. It's not that. It's because his character, his makeup, everything about God is love. John tells us God is love. And many places within the Bible, we find that phrase, God is love. Not Simply, God shares love, God gives love, God likes love, God wants to share love. It is love that he is. God is love. So when you're feeling that, since and I've shared with you when God comes and he practices his hearness with me, I'm practicing his presence, and he comes and he shares his hearness with me, and he puts his arms around me, and gives me that little fatherly squeeze. I kind of remember my earthly father when he used to, very, very strong man. Could easily have crushed my bones with a bear hug. And he used to put that around me. I could feel the strength, but then he'd only go so far to just hold me tight and let me know that he had me in his strong arms, and then he would make a sound like he was squeezing tighter and couldn't do it anymore. And I used to get such a kick out of that when I was a child. But when God puts his arms around me and he takes that and he starts to squeeze, I'm just overwhelmed. The overwhelming feeling of that comes into my being of his love for me and that I have to share that with others. I must share that with others. I have to demonstrate that with others. We are told to do that thing. And because this world is constantly changing and everything is going on so much and that it's so hard that we, we try to fit and we try to go in and, and in my studying and sharing about our bodies are ever changing because of the environment and that we try to prolong our youth and our strength with the medicines and all these things that these so-called physicians try to administer through pills and these things that they claim that remember that the, the medicine cabinet that God provided us was so much better, but they, oh, we can make it better, stronger, and faster than God. Sure. And I've actually heard them use that term before in that, in that termination and in the phrasing. 
And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, you have no idea what you just said. We can make it better, faster, and stronger than God? Seriously? Where do you think your knowledge and your wisdom comes from anyway, except that you're not using wisdom, you're just using the knowledge that you got, and you think that now you are sovereign over God? And they completely forget, in the book of Revelation, we find actually in Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty God. That's who he is. That's where he is. Jesus Christ. Paul writes in his letter to the Hebrews, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have to remember too that David David writes this in his Psalms talking about God in uh, Psalms 102, 25 through 27. We read that David is proclaiming God's existence from the foundations of the earth. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a clothing you're going to change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same and your years will never end. Remember what the scriptures tell us. There will be a new heaven, a new earth. God is going to cleanse and change everything because he wants us with him. David shares in Psalm 48, 14, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end end of the age, we're told that when that comes and you lay down to lead this plane of existence, that he's going to meet us at the doorway. That Physical death here is just an entry and a portal to our eternal home. Nothing to be afraid of. But see, that's because Jesus wrested the keys from Satan. And he is our Lord. He's our Redeemer. He's our Savior. He's our Guide. And he loves us and we are going to be guided. You're going to meet us at that door. So there's nothing to be afraid of. When Satan held on the keys, it was all about fear and darkness and anger and uh, separation and perishing. No more. Who, what, when, where, how, and why? Because he's God. And he loves us. You're in my prayers, I'm going out, my coming in every day. Brothers and sisters, be blessed.